0: So verse 16, we looked at this last week, it just starts off with these words, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches, for the churches. And I just want you to take that in and listen to it and really hear it again this morning. I have sent my angel to testify these things to you for the churches. Remember last week I I told you that word for is actually a preposition in the greek language and the preposition that's used here is the word epi and what's significant about that is its meaning literally translates upon okay and here's the difference the way a lot of christians read the bible is we kind of just read it like it's a book da, 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 da. i learned that quick i studied this book of the bible i read this book of the bible that's not that's not what the revelation is intended to be it is upon the churches. It's like I put a weight upon you. This is Jesus saying, Do you know who you are? You are the ekklesia. That's the Greek word for church. Ek out of kleos called. You are the ones called out of this world for the world. If you don't do it, if you're not taking the gospel out to the world, who will take it? Who'll do it? Do you see where we're at in history? Be the church. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to bear testimony to you. I have placed, what, my calling, really, upon the church. Um, this last week when I sat down, I sat down We had a really great week, fantastic week. Got to sit down with the superintendent of schools uh, here here in Grand Island and uh, talk to her about what's going on in families. And uh, we, we kind of got to the end of our talk, and she says, well, you know, you're, you're a pastor. Well, why are you talking to me about the school? And I said, because we're, we're the church and we have a calling upon us. And that calling is to be about serving the families of this community. And I happen to know something about the almost 10,000 children that your, your school system is serving. Many of them are in homes that are broken. They have no idea that there's a Jesus Christ. And so I've got some ideas, and I wanna explore them together with you about how we, the church, might interact with these families, okay? Well, that's what I'm talking about. To be the church is not to just build a building and put up a sign and say, y'all, come. To be the church is what? It's to go out with the, the only hope that people have, and that is the hope of Jesus Christ, okay? Now, to kind of punctuate that, Jesus uses uh, three, three words that all kind of go together uh, here at the end of the book to, to just remind us of who, who he is, who is talking to us. You're, you're telling me you're putting a, a calling upon me? Yes, I am. Well, well, who are you? Who are you to do that? Here, here's who I am. Take a look at these next words. I am, here's who I am, I am the root and the descendant of David. I am the root and the descendant of David. I am the bright morning star. Why does Jesus talk like that about himself? Why did he say, oh, I'm Jesus? Okay. Well, because again, he's pulling the whole of this book together, and he's saying to the church, I want you to remember who, who I am. And he starts off with this word, I am the, the root. It's almost a, 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 a paradox, right? How can you be the root of root of someone and their descendant. How can you be their beginning? You made them and you came out of them. That's what he's saying, right? I am the root of and the descendant of David. Why? Because everything comes through the line of David. He's taking us back to the promise that was made in the garden. He's taking you all the way back to Genesis 3. On that fateful day when Adam and Eve break God's heart, break his law and the curses placed upon the earth and Jesus Christ is promised. I will send the seed. Send the seed through who? A descendant of David. So the very one who made you, made you for himself, has to now come into this world and become the sacrifice for you in order that you might have life and have life eternal. I am the root and the descendant of David. If I'm a Jew and I hear these words, they're significant to me. Why? When I say I'm the root, I'm the root, what do you think of? We, we may not call this to mind, but for, for a, a Hebrew, this idea of the root of David is most captured in the 11th chapter of Isaiah. Flip over there. You'll love these words because they um, have some familiarity to you. I am the root of David. If I'm a Jew, my mind is automatically back in Isaiah. What does it mean to be the root of David? In chapter 11, um, this prophecy is being made about Jesus. And notice what he, how it begins. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots, roots shall bear fruit, okay? So a Jew would say, okay, from the family of, of Jesse, a branch, David, will be the root, right, of the Messiah to come. That's how a Jew interprets that. From, from whose line will the new king come? It will come from the family of Jesse, a shoot, David. It'll come from his family. Well, what what is Jesus saying here is actually, I, I am the root. And watch what happens when I come. The rest of this chapter, in chapter 11 of Isaiah, talks about what happens. He says, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of might, the spirit of knowledge, the fear of the Lord, and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will judge not by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with a righteousness he will judge the poor And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? It sounds like Jesus on the hill. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. He's not talking about just poor people. He's talking about people who recognize how spiritually poor we are. This is who I've come into the world for. I love the um, fifth verse in following. Righteousness will be the belt of his waist. Faithfulness the belt of his loins. These are Christmas words, right? The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion, the fatted calf together. The child shall, the child shall play, The shall, excuse me, the ch- nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra. And a weaned child put his hands on the outer What is he describing here? He's describing oh. a world where there's actually interaction between the creatures and human beings without harm, right? No harm. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb. Well, you, you put a wolf and a lamb together, what do you get? A mess, right? You get dinner. And uh, so what he's describing is, no, there will come a time of what? Of peace that will come from the root. And what Jesus is saying, I, I actually am the root of David, and now I become that offspring that's described in Isaiah 11. By the way, I always love these words. Uh, When we were in Dallas, you know, there's this one church that was known for its creativity. Um, This guy, Ed Young, built a tremendously large church in Houston. His son, Ed Young Jr., uh, has a church in Dallas. And and everybody thought, man, there's the most creative church in the world. And it really, that guy is creative. But one Easter, he got this idea. I don't know who gave it to it. I think it was a Lutheran. His idea was for this, I want to try to demonstrate, you know, what peace looks like. So he he got he actually got a lamb and a lion in cages next to each other. And he wanted to try to show this idea that, that the the lion and the lamb will lay down together. Well guess what happened? <laughs> Mr. Creativity got 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 himself in trouble because that lamb, the whole sermon was doing this. <laughs> he's like, get that lamb to quiet you. No, it's got a lion beside it, right? The thing is scared. It's going to yell the whole time. So nobody heard his Easter sermon at all, but it was creative. It's very creative. You know, I think to myself, yeah, these, these things don't go together. And what Isaiah is saying, no, the one who will bring peace on earth will bring it through the cross. He is the root of David. And, and so when Jesus is describing himself, this is what he's saying in the Revelation. He's saying, I'm the one who has come to break the curse who broke it through the cross, and who will establish a place of peace. That's new earth. That's new earth. Where our relationship, I, I actually believe this, new earth, you see a lion, do you run? No. You see a wolf, do you run? No. There's harmony amongst all of creation, just like there was in the garden in the first place before that break with, with God through Adam and Eve. Okay? Okay? Notice the next word, okay? I am the bright morning sun, star. I am the bright morning star. Where does that come from? Those words take us back, this is is like Christmas Day, because these are both Christmas references, to Numbers 24. And remember with me what's going on in Numbers. I am the bright morning star. You have two characters, Look at Numbers 24. Character number one is a guy named Balak. Character number two is Balaam. Balak and Balaam. So here's how I always like to describe them. Balak, he's a, he's a king, right? He's a guy with the binoculars. He's got binoculars. That's how I always picture Balak. Because what's happening is as Israel is is coming into the, the, the new land, the promised land, Remember, God says you don't need weapons. You, don't, you really don't need a whole, all. You need is is me. So carry carry the box. And so they had they had the the Ark of the Covenant right. And they would just come marching along like that, and they'd walk in, and all the people in Jericho went, ha, 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 we're gonna kill all of them. Look at them. These these idiots came walking into our town carrying a box. And they don't even they don't have soldiers. Where are their Cherries? They don't have cherries? They don't have nothing. They're just walking around with this box. And they watched them walking around their city, you know, like walking around their city all these days. Like, And they're laughing like, this is this is hilarious. Should we mow them down yet? No. And then they stop and they go, all right, now they're going to blow their trumpets. So Balak, he's watching this. He's like, oh. Oh, oh that wasn't good. Whoa, oh, that's not good. Uh-oh. They're coming our way. So if you're Balak, what do you do? You call (laughs) 1-800-DIAL-A-CURSE. We need a curse on these people fast because everywhere they go, they just keep mowing people down and with that box that they're carrying, whatever's in that box, I don't know, but it isn't good. So get a curse and put it on them. So they call Balaam. Balaam comes along and says, okay, now you, your only job is to put a curse on those people. And Balaam says, I'll do it. Now Balaam, we all, we all recognize him. We, we realize him because you you, you you know his ass, right? It's bad to be identified by your ass, isn't it? I mean, it's like... How do you know me? I know your ass. Well, it's a different kind of ass. It says donkey, right? And when you were a little kid in Sunday school, you learned about Balaam's, and you couldn't wait to tell your parents, right? Your parents, (laughs) you just got in your back seat, you're just sitting there. What did you learn about Sunday school? An ass. You know, oh, I love that stuff. Well, we know it because the donkey talks to Balaam, right? And tells him, "Hey, you know what? You're you're in big trouble here trying to put a curse on Israel. You better stop doing that." Well, he he decides I'm going to do it anyway because there's money in it for me. Question, does it work? Nope. When he opens his mouth, God causes to come out, not a curse, but a blessing. And so you get these oracles, these, these oracles that Balaam speaks are supposed to be curses, but instead God has said, nope, that ain't going to happen. It's going to be a blessing. Now, when you get to the final oracle, you get words that I think are just beautiful. Go to, verse, go to verse 15. This is one of my favorite Christmas stories. It just is, just, oh, every Christmas I look at this. He says, he took up his discourse and he said... The oracle of Balaam, the son of Baor. The oracle of the man whose eye is opened. The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High who sees the vision of the Almighty. Now, at this point, Balak, the binocular guy, is like, get my money back. Get my money back. He's talking about about God as almighty and all-powerful. Now, look at these next words. Beautiful words. I see him, but not now. That's Christmas. This is written thousands of years before Jesus Christ is born. And guess what he's saying? I see him, but not now. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. Everybody always wonders about the wise men. They're like, you know about the wise men? I'm like, yeah, I know about the wise men. They tried to find a bunch of them in Texas. They couldn't find one. So they had to go to Nebraska to get get the wise men. No, not those wise men. Oh, the wise men. Yeah. So how do the wise men even know what that star is? Right here. They have retained this prophecy. And they know it. A star. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also his enemies will be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the city. Oh my goodness. What is he talking about? This is kind of that now and not yet of scripture. The idea that these words are being spoken by Balaam through God at a period of time that points forward to the coming of the one who will destroy our enemies. Not just, not just David or a physical earthly king, but the one who made it all will come. I see him, but not yet. And when Christmas comes, he is born And he is, guess what, the bright morning star. And so what is being said by Jesus as you flip back over to the revelation is, I'll tell you who I am, the one who puts this calling upon you. I am the one who has broken the curse through the cross, the seed that was promised through the line of David, both his root and his descendant. I am the morning star. I am the one who has come to end the night. The darkness is over. The curse is broken, and I am now establishing, I am establishing what? A new earth, and we will live together. Our response to this is beautiful. Verse 17. The spirit and the bride hear this, and what is the word out of their mouth? Erku, erku, come, come. Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take of the water of life without price. The price has already been paid. We come and we drink of this water of life. He uses himself and we cannot wait for him to come. Notice in our prayers how that is reflected. You know, The probably the most popular prayer amongst us as Lutherans takes place when we bow our heads at, at dinner time, and what do we say? Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Come, Jesus, right? We're praying for Jesus. Come and be our guest. Come in here. We recognize his presence. We pray it when we pray the Lord's Prayer, right? Thy kingdom come. I always challenge my comfort every year, I'm like, do you really want to be saying that? It's kind of interesting. You're like, what do you mean? I mean, like, well, think about God, he's in heaven, and you're going to call his name. So, here he is, and you go, hey, God, and he goes, yes. And now, right now, he's looking at you, and you say to him, I want you to come. Like, right now, come. Right this very second would be a great time for you to come. Do you want that? That's kind of interesting to see see a group of kids. They'll be like, "Whoa!" You mean like today, like right now? I'm like, "Yep, right now." Like, well, there's a few things I'm not sure. I'm like, "Are you sure you want to pray that prayer? I could be like a dangerous prayer to pray because what? I mean, if God answers your prayer, He's going to come like right now. And when it sinks into your mind, you you begin to realize we we do get earthbound, right? We get stuck in our world. Um. Why is it that the human spirit, the old Adam, fights in us to live to our last breath, fighting away, fighting away, until finally the spirit of God releases us and we're able to say, come, and he takes us home. Part of what the revelation is intended to do is intended to set us free from our earth-boundedness, from believing somehow that this illusion of life is good, It's hard. And being able to say, you know what? I do want you to come. Today would be good. Because in your coming, finally is the restoration that all of us, including the earth itself, is hungry for. And so the spirit within us, spirit inside of us, is what causes us to finally say, yes, come. The bride, that's us. We say, come. Come down the aisle. Take us home. We're ready to live with you. And we know that we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It's given to us as a free gift without price. This life water, you, Jesus, who we will consume for the rest of our lives in eternity. It's a beautiful picture of the church as this, this book is, is closing out and you, you hear the church being able to say, we want you to come today And you hear Jesus saying, I will come in my time. And until I come, let this call be upon you. Go and be the church so that the bride, there are more who will say, come. And then the book ends with kind of an an interesting twist. Um, Verses 18 and 19, I want to say this properly, apply specifically through the book of Revelation. Okay, they're part of this scroll. We know that John, as he writes this, right, under the the Spirit of God, is writing this, this scroll, and sending it out to the churches. It will be, it will be, you know, the last word of God received, uh, you know, through the Spirit, and and written down, recorded uh, in, in history. We don't, today we're not like the Mormons. We don't say, oh, well now there's another prophet that came and he wrote some more stuff. There's another prophet. No, this is the sealing of the scroll, okay? So it applies specifically to the book of Revelation, the scroll of Revelation, but it it applies, um, let's say this way, universally to the whole of scriptures, okay? So when you read these words, you can say, well, in a specific sense, he's talking about the revelation, but in a, in a universal sense, he's speaking these words over the whole, the whole of the, what we would call the canon of Scripture, all the prophecies that have been given, you know, whether through Moses, through Isaiah, through, you know, through the, the gospel writers. This now is the closing up of the canon of Scripture, okay? Here's what he says. I... I think your English Bibles, most of them, will say, "I warn everyone." Is that what it reads? And the actual verb there is "martureo," which I actually prefer because it, it's its literal translation is not so much "warn" as "I testify to you." I'm making a testify. I'm testifying this to you. I'm telling. I'm speaking these words to you. In other words, here's a God who is saying, "I'm going to give testimony to what will happen." if you try to change my word. That's that's the impact of it. Okay? Here's the testimony he gives. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. See, has the specificity. This book, Revelation, universally applicable to the whole of the canon of Scripture. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are described in this book. When you stop and you think about that, and it's it's kind of frightening. You think, well, the, the plagues described in this book are not they're not good plagues, right? They're there a God who is sending upon this world right now, today, the effect of his curse that took place in Genesis 3. And we are watching it happen in these end times like never before. Okay? Well, there's a sense in which the plagues described in this book are already coming upon those who turn away from God's Word, okay? So what does it mean for me to to add to God's Word? Or, look at the second half of it, if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. Those two things are really, they really go hand in hand. Right? What, what, is, what is God testifying to? He's saying he, there's two things that can happen with the Word of God. You can, you can add to it and you can subtract from it. Okay, Add to it. Are there not religions that have added to the Word of God? So when I walk into a, a Mormon temple, they hand me what? A book of Mormon. What is this? Where did, where did you get this? Well, um Joseph Smith he he found these golden tablets and we translated the golden tablets the angel macaroni uh, maroni I forget if it's macaroni or no, it's moroni he translated it and we wrote it down and this is this now adds to the words of the scripture and not only that but the prophets the prophets of the Mormon church they add to it and so we we don't just base our you know, our understanding upon the Bible, we have, we also have this prophet. What is the Quran Add to. Well, Jesus, yeah, he's a prophet. He was a great prophet, but he was not the last prophet. The last prophet is the prop, the prophet Muhammad. And he is great. And so we've added to it. And what does what God say? I'm going to testify to you. If you add to it, you will receive the plagues of this book upon you. Well, in our minds, we think, okay, good. You know, God's going to make frogs jump around in their bedrooms and, you know, rats. No, he's saying the, the, the plagues described in this book are what? They're, they're the curse. You'll fully experience the curse under the law because that's really what all these additions do is they just take away the gospel. They take away the cross of Jesus Christ and they put you back under the law. Okay, then you're going to receive the curse of the law. The plagues, the plagues that are described in this book just describe what it means to to live and now die apart from Jesus Christ. And you die apart from Jesus Christ, you die judged under the law. There's the plague. There's the effect of it. It's not, this is not a Halloween scene where God is, you know, making snakes and frogs and lice and grasshoppers jump around in people's lives. No, it's about, I am I'm a person who's under the curse of Islam. And guess what? I'm outside of the grace of God. I'm seeking to live under the law. I'm seeking to please the law. I'll never get there. And so as I experience this world and its brokenness, there is no hope for me. There is no hope for me, right? That's what he's talking about. What about the second half he who takes away from these words okay for me as a for me as a pastor probably one of the more one of the the most sobering things to realize when you're teaching the word sharing the word even at our homes around our table right is wait this is God's word I have no right to change it or to say you know what I don't like this part of it so I think I'm going to just kind of got a glass of water, I think water, that part down i can 't cut pieces out, but there 's a real sense in which our old Adam wants to do that when you when you take god 's word as a whole, I promise you there are going to be parts that come to you that you just smack into you don 't like them. Our old adam goes i, I don 't like that i don 't want that, okay um I'm going to use a, an example. I don't want you to get, like, twerked at me or ticked at me because I use this example. This is not judgmental. But I just want to make a point. It's easy to read these words. He who takes away from these words and to say to ourselves, well, I would never do that. You don't have to subtract something from the Bible to take away his words. Just resist it. Here's my example. The great prophet Malachi stands before the nation of Israel. And he says, I'm going I'm to call you to something. I want you to bring the tithe into the storehouse and surrender it to God. Now what's he saying to Israel? It's one-tenth for a reason because ten, as we've discovered in the Revelation, is what? Yahweh's perfect number. What is Malachi saying to the nation? I want you to trust God absolutely, and so I'm going to call you to let go of the one thing that I know you are not going to want to let go of, and that's your provision, your money. Bring it into the storehouse and let it go. Do you ever resist that? you ever find yourself like... It's a good idea, but it's not very realistic. It's just an example. Don't get torqued at me. I'm not judging. You. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just saying it's so easy for us to read these words. He who takes away from this word. We do it subtly. The good news for us is we do it under grace. I, I, do I resist God's word? Every day every day are there things that i don't like about what god has told me absolutely i don't like that. Uh, that that seems hard to do i resist it we do it under the grace of the cross but never i'm going to borrow i'm going to borrow Dietrich Bonhoeffer's words here never cheapen it we cheapen it when we just excuse it yeah because i can't do that yeah nah, I, nobody can really do that that cheapens grace and so there's a balance as, as God's called out people of living under grace and saying, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. And, and seeking to release ourselves to him that he might change us. Okay. Now the revelation is what, he's, what he would say, what I think Jesus is saying to the churches, I want you to be my called out ones. Live under my word in such a way that, that you will impact the world around you. And I've always said that the the church is a shadow of what it should be, a micro-shadow of what it should be. When you live under grace with the Word of God and you live it out in your life, oh, my goodness gracious, get out the binoculars, Balak, because here it comes. You will change families. Families will change cities. Cities will change nations. And all you have to do is look back at the Scripture record to see that. We are a shadow of what we should be. And so there is a very evident way in which there are people who subtract from the book, who say, you know what, homosexuality is not really that bad. In fact, it was, you know, God made people this way anyway, subtracting from the book. You're taking away. You're taking away God's word. God's word clearly speaks to this. You have to erase it to get there. But there's a subtle way in which our old Adam, our human spirit, will always resist the thing that God gave us. And so I always tell people, one of two things will happen when you read the Word of God. You'll either alter it, change it, whether subtly in your mind or the way that you live, or you will alter it. You will come under it like you're at the altar of God on your face, surrendered before him, saying, God, I can't do this. And I beg of you, would you change me? I cannot change myself. And God says, I will change you. The book closes with these words. He who testifies to these things says, Surely, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And notice notice the last phrase, you need it. How does the Bible end? The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Because you need it. And I need it. We live under his grace, under the cross. And our calling as a church is to take grace into the world. And grace is not just, you know, not just a, a, a flimsy, you know, turning, turning away from, you know, people's issues. It's, it's the cross. Take the cross to the world. And the revelation ends.